This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. If you've ever dreamed of being self-employed or wondered what that life would be like, you're going to want to hear what my guest has to say today. He's never, ever had a real job nor a traditional paycheck. From selling eggs door to door at the age of 14 to becoming a renowned portrait photographer, today he is considered the go-to expert for the self-employed, helping small business owners get the results they want. Jeffrey Shaw, welcome to my podcast. Oh, Liz, I am so excited to be here with you and love this conversation. So glad to be here. I'm delighted as well. I recently read your newest book, The Self-Employed Life, Business and Personal Development Strategies that Create Sustainable Success. Boy, did I learn a lot. (laughs) You say there is a difference between calling yourself a small business, an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, or a freelancer. What is the difference and why is that so important? So often we refer to ourselves as entrepreneurs. I mean, all the, I just tried breaking down all these different terms. So I think we have to pay attention to what's the energy of these titles that we give ourselves and what are in the real world, the benefits and downsides. So entrepreneur, for example, hey, you know, it's a sexy term. I think a lot of times we like to call ourselves entrepreneurs, but the energy of the word entrepreneur, I think has taken on a bit of a different flavor in recent years and that it started to feel a little bit more like a hustle mentality. And it's also starting to represent more likely somebody looking to build a business to sell, where most self-employed business owners are building something they can sell, but it's not likely to be the reason they built the business in the first place. Then let's look at solopreneur. That's my least favorite. I I flat out tell people, (laughs) please stop calling yourself a solopreneur because none of us get to where we want to get to in life and business solo. Like, Let's stop the whole solo aspect of life and, and come together as community the definition by government standards of small business is really broad. You can have up to 500 employees and be considered a small business. <laughs> All right. So when does that become a problem? It becomes a problem during recessions and pandemics when there are government programs for small businesses only, and they're saying you need a minimum of 20 employees. Anybody with fewer than 20 employees, we're not just a small business. We are a, a micro business or more than likely a business of one, you're self-employed. You know, we don't want to get overlooked when there are options for us. That's why at the end of the day, I've settled on self-employed. And I want people to call themselves self-employed with a badge of honor because it represents your braveness, your boldness. It represents your business structure, even your tax structure. And it tells people how you live. It is the self-employed life. And as soon as somebody knows you're self-employed, They know that your life at home and at work are integrated. They know that you face additional challenges. I think it's something to be very proud of and and eager to see people identify more often as self-employed. Well, I'm one that's now identifying myself as (laughs) self-employed. And so is Dan, who's my audio producer sitting with me right now. 
And other than the obvious of working for someone else, when you're self-employed, it is different than another business because it is so personal. A lot of people that are self-employed are coming from the corporate environment. And the shape of it is, is they were the outcasts in corporate. They were the black sheeps in corporate. They decided <laughs> to bravely go out on their own. And unfortunately, on their own, they start replicating the very same experience they had in corporate. They have a compartmentalized way of thinking, which doesn't apply when you're self-employed because it's all one big hodgepodge. Most of the world, the conventional world of business is transaction-based. When you're self-employed, you are in a relationship-based business. More so than, you know, we hear a lot about how important relationships are in business. But when you're self-employed, it's at a whole other level because no matter what your industry is when you're self-employed, it's a relationship-based business. You need to have different marketing strategies. You need to approach it differently. Or as I like to say, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule doesn't apply because the 80-20 rule saying 80% of your income comes from 20% of your clients. When you're self-employed and you've worked hard to get in front of an audience, you can't afford for eight out of 10 people to not hire you or ignore you. <laughs> I think when you grasp the idea that you're just in business in a different way, then you can begin the process of what are the marketing strategies that actually work? Yeah. What are the mindsets that actually sustain me? You have actually developed a whole entire system around this, which you call the self-employed ecosystem, which is really that integration of that personal development and then the right size business strategies and then the daily habits. And you have a very specific order that these are in. Briefly explain to us each of those pieces, but why the order is important. For me, personal development always comes before business strategies. In fact, this is how I want people to get off the hamster wheel. The reason so many people are caught on the hamster wheel is because we live in a world where every guru online and every convention we attend is giving us more strategies to apply. So we just keep overfilling the sack. <laughs> There's only limited room, right? So the way to break the hamster wheel is through personal development. Your level of success is proportionate to your level of personal development. Every time you want to grow in your business, you actually need to grow within yourself first. I look at it as a glass ceiling of our current growth over our heads. And I know that sounds cliche and something, but here's the reality of it. Until you have truly believed you deserve more, no matter how hard you work, you haven't made room in your life to have more. Right. right. So you always have to come back to how do I need to grow as a person first? Do I deserve more? Do I feel deserving of more? You have to really step into what's ahead of you in order to apply the strategies to get that. And then, there, of course, there's what I refer to as the daily habits and mindsets that sustain yes. your success. Being self-employed, this is a very up and down process. And we need to have mindsets and strategies that A, unblock us from our limited mindsets, B, create an inward flow of positivity, right? Mm -hmm. Because so we have more coming in. And then we need consistency in our habits and mindsets in order to weather out the ups and downs. I look at that as a three-step in itself, a three-step formula, because you have to, like I said, unblock, create flow, sustain. That's how you stay in business for the long haul. You talk about in the book about have been knock down yourself many times. But I'm very curious when it comes to the habits, which is the hardest one for you to sustain? 
consistency of any kind when it comes to daily <laughs> habits is hard for all of us. It probably um, is for everybody. You're right. It is. You know, and I see it in my students of the Self-Employed Business Institute. We actually, in, in the Business Institute, we actually, in the first month, go over daily habits and mindsets. I kind of reflip the order because I want to be present for them in the five-month curriculum to use the daily habits to, to keep mm -hmm. them steady, right? So, so there's accountability built in. For me, probably the most challenging one to keep consistent with is meditation. Uh. To me, meditation, what I refer to it as I teach it, is we all need a clearing of the mind exercise, right? Yes. For some people that's running, for some people it's woodworking, right? Meditation. The next step is the easiest one for me to stick with is what I refer to as my what's going right journal. Yes. That's the easiest one for me to stick with. There's just so much evidence of how well it works. But mm -hmm. in order for it to work well, which creates the inward flow, in order to create the flow, you first have to create the space. So that's what I'm saying. You, you need a clearing of the mind and body exercise to then introduce another habit that creates inward flow. But you have to create the space before you create the flow. It's so hard to maintain habits. Let's, I mean, the <laughs> good is. habits anyway. We get stuck in the old habits so often. The hardest time to keep our habits is when things are going well. Yes, because we think oh, I don't need them anymore. Correct. And the very same habits and, and mindsets that suddenly brought all this abundance into your life, you suddenly are living in a space of overwhelm. So the first thing you do is get rid of the habits that created it. Mm. And I always warn people of that it's like actually when things are going really well, that's what creates sustainability and consistency. I love that theory. There's an interesting and important way that you have of suggesting that people look at intentions and goals. So what's the difference between a goal and an intention, and then share with us also the from to strategy that you've created. The difference between a goal and intention is such a great question. I don't know what to make of goals anymore in today's world. And I don't know if it's how the world has changed or is how we mature. I actually call it the goal paradox. And I've done podcasts and I've written articles on this. I think there's a real paradox, the goal setting specifically for self-employed people, mm -hmm. because we have to think big right? That's what yes. moves us all. We have to think big. We have to set these big goals. But at the same time, how do we not set ourselves up for disappointment when we don't reach those big goals? Because the disappointment can be so, I mean, just it, it's toxic. Yeah. It can eat away at your confidence and your ability to go forward. So I'm very cautious of that paradox, like setting big goals, but not setting yourself up for disappointment. One thing I, I teach in the Business Institute is what I call a three-tier goal setting. You know, wow, happy, sustainable, to actually look at your goals like in three tiers. Okay. What's the wow goal? That's the juice so that you're, you're lifting that glass ceiling and thinking, well, what's the wow that will blow you away if you hit that goal? And then what's your happy goal? Like truly at the end of the day, at what goal do you need to meet that mm. just makes you really happy? And then to know what your sustainable goal is so that you have confidence that you're okay. That's in a way how I have framed goal setting, how it compares to intention is I actually believe in the power of intention more yes. than I believe in setting goals, right? Because intention has a lot of inward language. It's how we're talking to ourselves. It's how clear we are and what we want. You know, whether we, we exercise those intentions and affirmations or mantras, it's knowing how to speak to yourself in a clear and concise way that you truly believe that intention, not some yeah. fluffy mantra that goes on and on. If you can't say it off the top of your head, your brain and your body isn't going to absorb it. Right. That's where the from to format comes in. I was looking for a more concise way to teach people intentions because I tend to work with people that are pretty soulful. And because they're more soulful, they're pretty grandiose and they can get very flowery with their words, <laughs> myself included. And the best way to set an intention is to know what you wanna go from 
and what you want to go to. You know, I know in, in my past, one of my intentions uh, a couple of years ago was I want to go from being overlooked to being front of the line. The beautiful thing about intentions, it doesn't have to mean anything to anybody else but you. Right. And, and that was a point a couple of years ago when I felt as a speaker, I was constantly being overlooked, not chosen. And I was sick of it. I wanted to go from that. I'm like, I want to go from being overlooked. And that's why to me, what I wanted to go to is I wanted to go to front of the line. And, and I chose front of the line because I had to be honest with myself that much of my life, particularly my earlier years, mm-hmm. I sat in the back of the line because I didn't want to be seen. You know, when you've lived your life, as many of us has, as introvert and shy, I positioned my life so that I didn't stand out. Now suddenly I want to stand, I'm waving my hands to the universe and saying, hello, hello, hire me. <laughs> me. <laughs> right, exactly. You have to understand where you're coming from and and really what you want to get to and, and also realize there's a, there's a reason. Often what works for us works against us. I want to talk about your childhood a little bit because before the career that you have now, you were once a renowned portrait photographer and you were looking to a camera lens for 35 years and you said you learned a lot about human behavior in that work, (laughs) but photography was really a hobby and it enabled you as a very shy teenager to kind of withdraw. How did you overcome being so shy to becoming this highly sought after successful photographer. One of the great ironies of life, and I, I and I find that with also with authors, like I've met so many authors that love the reclusive lifestyle of being an author and, and hunkering down in a quiet place to write a book. And, and <laughs> oh my gosh, the book is successful. And next thing I know, I'm being called to do interviews and be on stages. Like I've met a lot of authors that are like, that's actually was not my goal. <laughs> so, and I felt that way as a photographer. It's like for me, especially back in the day, you know, as a shy kid, you know, the dark room, you know, literally is dark room. Like nobody can even see you. Like that was ideal. And then being out in the world photographing, there was a barrier between me and the world. And there was a security in that. I had the fortunate or unfortunate circumstances of actually having a, a significant amount of natural talent. And next thing I know, I'm in high school, I'm getting national awards as a photographer. I went off to photography school, got attention for everything I did, ended up being chosen by the student body to be the student representative and speak at graduation. And I had that same feeling. It's like, okay, this is not what photography is supposed to bring to me. (laughs) But, you know, I think as I say in the book, and it actually goes back even to my egg selling days as a 14-year-old, because I was so shy as a 14-year-old, I wanted to vomit before I knocked on somebody's door to sell them eggs. (laughs) But here's a key component, I believe, of being self-employed. At some point, the rewards are greater than the fear. Mm. And often the rewards for self-employed are the satisfaction of doing good work. It's the satisfaction of seeing that you're making an impact in people's lives. It's the satisfaction that you're making a difference in the world. Bigger than the money. Money is a reward, but being self-employed is not the easy road to money. There's much easier ways. So therefore, the the satisfactions that you gain are internal. When you can push yourself, challenge yourself just enough to start seeing that the rewards are greater than the fear, you keep going. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just kept going and going and becoming a professional speaker, which is the last thing as a kid I ever imagined I would do. (laughs) But when the rewards of what seeing the faces of people's lives that you're impacting is greater than the fear to walk on the stage, you keep going. Well, besides speaking, you also have a TEDx, you have coaching with your self-employed business institute, you have the other book, which was your first book, and you have a top-rated podcast called The Self-Employed Life. 
That is tremendous success across the board for everything. Share with us why you believed at a very early age that greatness was within you and why you're still looking for it. Gosh, what a fantastic question. And I have challenged myself and I've challenged a lot of my coaching clients and as I've challenged strangers at a party too, <laughs> to put aside all humbleness, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us were raised in a society of being humble. I'm not saying that humbleness is a bad thing, but if you set aside all the humbleness and you ask somebody, have, do you truly believe there's greatness in you? People will say they believe that there is. And what stood out to me once was watching an interview with Oprah Winfrey many, many years ago. Somebody asked her that question, did you always know you'd be somebody? Despite the circumstances she grew up in, and she said, if I'm honest with myself, deep down, I always knew I was special. It's really hard for a lot of people to admit that to themselves. But I think it's critical that we do because yes. the seed, the implant is there that we mm -hmm. truly believe that we do have something bigger to offer the world. I will admit as a young child in a challenging family situation, kind of cowering in the corners, being very <laughs> shy, I looked around at the world and said, particularly my, my close environment, and it's like, I, they're all nuts. Like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's something in me that's going to become great. And I just didn't know what that was. That's why I chose to become self-employed because when I got at that age in your teens, when you started to look at life direction and career direction, I literally said to myself, I am unhirable. I'm too shy. I'm a geek. I didn't think I was likable. There was no <laughs> horizon on me for higher education because I didn't grow up in an environment that even spoke about higher education. So to me, I looked at all the components and said, the only way I'm going to become anybody in life is I have to do this on my own. And that's my path to self-employment, just figuring it out. I need to do it on my own. You talk a lot about relationships, both in business and in personal. They're very important to you. They were very important to mom. That's how she had a successful hair salon for 40 some years. <laughs> yeah. And so too is lifestyle. And that includes waffle Sundays. I want to know more about waffle Sundays. <laughs> First of all, my legacy is clearly going to be waffles. And I'm convinced <laughs> at some point I'm going to end up the Tonight Show and it's going to be for waffles, not having anything to do with what I do professionally. And you know there's something to it when everybody asks you about it and it becomes so compelling. And I'm left one. I mean, it took me a long time like until I started asking people, like, why? They're just waffles. I didn't get it. But I have used waffles as a vehicle to build community at various stages of my life. When my kids were little, I would make waffles for them. Uh, most Sundays, but certainly special holidays. And by the way, I make really good waffles. We're not talking about a, a pre-bought mix. This is all from scratch, separating the eggs, fluffing the egg whites, adding a little vanilla. I mean, I've got a very certain recipe. It's all from scratch. They're really good. They're crisp in the outside, soft in the middle. They're <laughs> You're making just, me hungry. Stop. <laughs> so good. They're so good. So it was a special occasion for my kids. Like when they would have, when they were little and they'd have sleepovers, they're like, dad, can you make us waffles? Like it was a big deal to them. When I divorced, I had three little kids, 50-50 custody. I tried to figure out what were things that were constants in their lives. And it came back to waffles. Mm. I'm like, in order for kid, divorce, kids of divorce, in order for them to feel at home, I stuck with the waffles. We moved to a small town in Connecticut alongside the town we were living in as a family. And we didn't know anybody. So then I started making waffles. And then next thing you know, before long, it was like 
everybody knew that the antique red house made waffles <laughs> on Sunday morning. Strangers would be smoking by. <laughs> when I moved to Miami, I did it all over again. I didn't know anybody. So I said, well, waffles has worked before. I'll do it again. So I started making waffles. People, We would have up to 45 people oh for waffles in my condo in Miami. <laughs> Waffles for me has been community building. To your point, it has everything to do about relationships to me. At one gathering of our waffles, I, I just stopped the event and I asked, I'm like, please, you all need to explain to me, like, what is it about waffles? Mm -hmm. And people said, you know, for one, it's in your home. They can go get waffles at a restaurant, but there's something about being in somebody's home. But everybody had stories of reminiscing about waffles, about their childhood, about their mother or father making waffles. Everybody has a story behind waffles. It all has to do with business, about community mm -hmm. and relationships, and not just relationships between me and the other, but also relationships to other people. Yeah, waffle Sundays, it's a thing. There is one other favorite concept that I really want to touch on before I let you go. And it's in your book. And you say that, you know, when everything feels like it's falling apart, it may in fact be coming together for something bigger and better. And you call it growth jet lag. Mm -hmm. Perfect. <laughs> Explain what that means and how do we deal with the growth jet lag? Oh boy, growth jet lag, I think is one of the most frustrating stages I see my <laughs> clients and students go through. So the quote, the mantra that you recited is what I refer to as a trust mantra. And I encourage people to think about having a trust mantra, particularly when you're self-employed, because our experience is not linear. We go through good times, we go through from some very difficult times. And the trust mantra, the idea of it, and that particular mantra was created for myself during a very challenging time, the breaking up of a relationship, those clusters that we go through in life when everything seems to go wrong. And I had this thought one day, I'm like, who am I to judge whether this is wrong or right? That maybe this is all falling apart so that it can come together for something greater than I can even imagine. And that's exactly what it became. Right. I mean, that was, yeah. it was very new in my experience of living in Miami and, and my world has changed since I moved to hmm. Miami seven years ago. So in fact, it did fall together something bigger than I was even setting my eyes on. So the trust mantra is a mantra, a tool for yourself, an affirmation to just remind you there are powers greater than ourselves at hmm. work. The growth jet lag is a common phase. I see anybody, any seeker, any person heading towards transformation, you're going to go through a period of growth jet lag where you have grown, but the world around you hasn't caught up to your growth yet. And it's true in business as well that, you know, and I'm in the business, particularly through the Business Institute of working with people to create significant growth in a pretty short period of time. You have to expect it to be growth jet lag because the marketing world, the algorithms of, of social media, the people around you haven't caught up, even SEO mm -hmm. in a practical sense, right? Hasn't right. caught up to your new messaging, your new clarity, your new direction of moving forward. So there's always a period of time and it's incredibly frustrating because everyone has the same feeling and they're feeling <laughs> like, I'm ready now, bring it on. And it's not and happening. It doesn't happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's very frustrating. When someone is becoming self-employed for the first time, perhaps in midlife or simply trying something new, there is a bit of a magic. What's the magic for you, Jeffrey? For me, the magic is in the lifestyle that you get to choose. I have long fought against criticism of lifestyle business, and I don't understand it. I have had so many you know, high-level thinkers and authors criticize the idea of a lifestyle business because 
they think it's all you're just it's just a hobby it's just a little thing you do on the side and to me there's nothing more magical than actually using your business to steer the life you want to live so that to me is the magic i mean the magic and i'm reminded as i said i just moved to jacksonville from miami within on a whim like within two months i was like i had the idea and we closed on the house within two months because i can yes <laughs> and that's the magic maybe not everybody can just pick up their lives and move if you've got younger kids but maybe you want to be home every day at three o'clock and get your kids off the bus maybe you want to take extended vacations maybe you want to have a month off maybe you want to work four days a week instead of five the magic to me is in the shocking ability to actually get what you want out of life I invite all of you to check out Jeffrey's website where you'll learn more about his speaking, his business summit, his coaching and everything. And it's at jeffreyshaw.com, jeffreyshaw.com. And I also know you have a downloadable workbook. It's called the selfemployedlife.me. And you can find that also on your website once people go to the book section. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining me today and giving us truly some wonderful strategies to set up the circumstances for our success, whether we're self-employed or not. I think you've given us some good life lessons. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. And whether you're a small business owner or perhaps you still work for someone else, in this often chaotic world, be sure to take some time to notice what is going right and how far you have come. When you do, you will continue down the path of living your best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.